Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this record of Ruth's devotion to her, her mother-in-law, Naomi. Thank you for the expression of commitment that's become legendary. And as we consider their relationship and that particular commitment, we pray, Lord, that you would help us consider our relationships, our commitments. Please take my lips, Lord Jesus, and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. When Kathy and I got married, she gave me, amongst a group of little mementos she put together, a key ring with a little fob attached on that fob, which was really a gold-plated very tastefully done little fob was a reference. All it said was Ruth chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. So I looked it up. And of course it said, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, there I will die. And where you're buried, I'll be buried. And I thought, wow, that's really nice. What an expression of devotion. Well, that's what we're looking at today. Naomi and Ruth have become very popular, lovely names in our Western culture. And because of this little book, Ruth, not that many chapters, we pick up on the story of that relationship. Here it is in simple terms. Naomi lived in Bethlehem with her husband, Elimelech. In fact, every time I hear Elimelech, I want to sing the song, uh, what, how, let me move on. <laughs> but you can hear Elimelech, 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 that, that song. In any case, that helps you fasten the name Elimelech, which is nearly irrelevant. Because what happened was, famine hit southern Judea which is where Bethlehem is. And Elimelech took his wife Naomi and their two sons, and they headed over to Moab, which is a slender, fertile plateau up above the Dead Sea. It's present-day Jordan. And so they went there to beat the famine in Bethlehem, and to take care of their family. 
Well, in fairly short order, Elimelech died. The two boys married Moabite women. And within 10 years, those men were dead. So now you've got three widows. One of them a Jewish widow. Two of them Gentile widows. One of whom was Ruth. The other was Orpah. So Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem, back to where my family roots are. You realize that the three women were destitute. In that culture, the men did the work, earned the living, provided for the family. And so, in going, Naomi said to the two girls, stay here. Go back to your homes, and perhaps you will then get to remarry amongst your people. Well, Orpah, the... uh, One of the the wives did stay. But Ruth made this declaration. Even though Naomi was urging her to stay, she made this declaration that she would go wherever Naomi went, be committed to her, even unto death. And when Naomi saw that uh, Ruth was not going to change her mind, the two ladies set off back to Bethlehem and arrived there. Amazingly, wonderfully, Ruth gets to marry into another Jewish family in Bethlehem. And that rather romantic story as it unfolds, you can read in the book of Ruth. But the amazing outcome of first Ruth's commitment to Naomi, thereby leaving Moab and all those associations and coming into a Jewish community in Bethlehem, leaving her people and going to be a part of Naomi's family, her her family back in Bethlehem, leaving behind all her Moabite traditions and entering into now the Jewish customs and traditions. Sort of reminiscent of Abraham as we referred to him last week. Left everything, took his family and possessions and went out. And the amazing repercussions of that, to remind you, a promised land, a chosen people, a Messiah and justification by faith. Some of you will remember last week's sermon. All springing out of Abraham's faithfulness. What sprang out of Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi is not just a Jewish husband. A Jewish husband who becomes the great-grandfather of King David. Well, what does that make Ruth? Grandma great to King David. She was the great grandmother of King David. Well, pray tell, in whose family tree was the Messiah born? 
Jesus. Not just Abraham, but down the line, King David. And further down the line came Jesus. In fact, if you were to look at Matthew, one of the verses that you probably skip over when you read Matthew, because it's in a list of so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, the old translation The record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, is verse 1 of Matthew. But when you get down to verse 5, you read Boaz, that's the man that Ruth married. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. But what we're considering there on the human side of Jesus is his genealogy, his family tree. Now, the theology of that is pretty profound in as much as Ruth was a Gentile. So, connected to the family tree of Jesus through Joseph is a Gentile. And just as all the nations were to be blessed through Abraham, This Gentile woman married into a Jewish family becomes the great-grandmother of David, the great king. And in that same family tree, you find Jesus. So almost one could say those were the unintended consequences, from God's point of view, very much intended, But from the human point of view, the unintended consequences of a faithful and loyal commitment. I want to speak about two commitments. And again, as always, much too briefly. Perhaps the heart of the statement that Ruth made was, your God will be my God. When Orpah went back into her culture... Their gods became her gods again, if they had ever ceased to be. But when Ruth entered into Naomi's family, with that kind of commitment that she's making here, Naomi's God, said Ruth, would become her God. And that commitment to the Lord is in and of itself. Each of the commitments is transformational. You can see that just by the events that unfold it. But from our vantage point, sitting in church this morning, your commitment to the Lord, your devotion to him, is at the heart of what Jesus understood to be a disciple, a follower of his. A couple of references to which I would draw your attention. In Matthew chapter 4, let me read. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets, And followed him. Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, 
and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. One third of the apostolic band. Jesus, wandering along the Sea of Galilee, calls them to follow. And they leave their preoccupation, their family, and follow Jesus. Well, they became legendary. Peter and John and James and Andrew. Legendary. Consequence of their commitment to Christ. Now, granted, that was an unfolding commitment, but it began with their beginning to follow Jesus. Some of you are in various degrees, stages of following Jesus. One or two or a half a dozen of you may yet have really not come to the decision yet that you want to ally yourself to Christ and become his and follow him. I mean, sincerely, follow him. Because you realize that will make some changes in your life and those changes you don't want to make. Clearly, to quit fishing for fish and go fishing for men, to leave family behind and go do that, the family business, because they're following Jesus. One thing led to another. So you've got John writing the gospel and the epistles in the New Testament. Because of Ruth's devotion, you've got Ruth in the New Testament and her family tree with the Messiah in it. The consequences, not all understood at the beginning of following Jesus. I know I battled following Christ for at least two years. Bottom line, I had some sinning I wanted to get on with. And I wanted to run my own life for myself. But ultimately, I yielded to Christ. And then began a series of other changes along the way. So that one day I meet Kathy who says to me, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where they bury you, I'll be buried. Who could have ever guessed that? Or for me to be a preacher speaking to you. And in the same way, as you've begun the motion to move toward Christ and to follow Christ, and as I've said, you're in various degrees, different stages of your devotion to Christ, your commitment to Christ, and your capacity to follow him. Some of you have got some real commitments to make here. Re-up on earlier commitments you've made. And you have no idea the God-blessed, unbelievably spectacular consequences that are out there down the road. Because nobody gets to follow Jesus as he calls you to follow and not do something of consequence and significance with your life, which otherwise would never have happened. 
major commitment. The other commitment is that your people will be my people. When you get joined to Christ, you join the body of Christ. You join the family of Jesus. It's not just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and his family. His people become your people. His goals and aspirations become yours. Along with his people. Any number of you here this morning, I would imagine, have yet to make a commitment to join Christ Church. You say, I've joined Jesus. I'm into Jesus. I get Jesus. It's all these other people I don't get. I don't want to be a part of them. If that's you, if you're saying it's you and Jesus, and as for us, you'll take or leave us. You'll come and go. That's not the way it works if you are really connected to Jesus. When you get connected to Jesus, his people become your people. Where they go, you go. I've actually, in remembering this, brought the new members teaching with me. And what does it mean to be a member is a question that we discuss together. The first reason is that Christ is committed to the church. Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because he is the Lord of that church. That's the number one reason. We're committed to the church because Jesus is committed to the church. Secondly, as a cultural reason, it's an antidote to our society, our messed up, screwed up society. We live in an age where very few want to be committed to anything. A job, a marriage, our country. This attitude has even produced a generation of church shoppers and hoppers. Membership swims against the current of America's consumer religion. It is an unselfish decision. Commitment always builds character. Now there are other reasons that we mention, but suffice it to mention those too. So if you're committed to Christ, you've got to get committed to his family. It may not be here, but somewhere you've got to be committed to his family. And the byproduct of that is almost unimaginable. Next year, we celebrate 20 years of the existence of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Originally, we were not at Grove Farm. We were in the Sewickley Country Inn, which has been demolished. So something, something very, very symbolic about that. Church of Jesus Christ goes on. Second year, we were in Moon Area High School. And in two years, the commitment of the people originally to the vision of a new church, which became Christ Church at Grove Farm, purchased the 40-some acres that we have here, and as a consequence, you have all this construction and thousands of people now who've been through Christ Church. 
and at least 1,500 people hanging around here most of the time. But it began with a commitment to Christ and a commitment to each other, to his church, and to this vision. Let me mention, by way of illustration, the commitment of two men here in Pittsburgh. Close to 50 years ago, one man, his name was Don James, and the other man was Reed Carpenter. They committed themselves to each other. They were both committed to the Lord, but they committed themselves to each other and to be together for the cause of Christ in Pittsburgh. Major league commitment. Reed Carpenter moved his offices into Don James' offices. Reed Carpenter was directing Young Life. Don James was running the Pittsburgh experiment. As a result of their commitment together, I listed at least these unforeseen consequences. The creation of the Coalition for Christian Outreach, CCO. The creation of something called the Pittsburgh Offensive, gathering of leaders in Pittsburgh, which led to the foundation of the Ligonier Valley Study Center, which became Ligonier Ministries with R.C. Sproul. If that were all that happened, CCO and Ligonier Ministries, that would be spectacular. But also as a result came Trinity School for Ministry, a labor management prayer breakfast, the silver ring thing, sexual abstinence program amongst kids, the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation, and CCGF nearly 20 years ago. There's more. But because of CCGF, I mentioned the mission trips that are, that are underway right now. But CCGF, when it was a young church, Christ Church at Grove Farm, when it was a young church, made a 10-year commitment to a very poor part of Uganda via the relationship of Graham and Eileen Hodgetts to a bishop who had come over from Uganda to study at Trinity School for Ministry. Out of that association came a 10-year commitment that's unfolded into that much more to a very poor area so that you've got the product of Uganda gold coffee beans coming out of that ministry. A hospital was built over there. The pastors were trained. Some of us took on orphans. But it all began, at least given what I'm relaying to you, when Don James and Reed Carpenter committed themselves to each other and to Pittsburgh. God has so much more he wants to do. Where are you in that picture? Let's pray together. Living Lord Jesus, as we come to kneel and receive the bread and the wine, those sacred symbols of your dying for us on the cross. Help us in the kneeling and the receiving 
to surrender our lives to you and to understand the nature of our commitment not only to you but to one another, that we are family, we are your family, and you have plans for us, plans for good and not for evil, to give us a future and a hope, not just one by one, but as we interact with each other. So I pray, dear Lord, that as you've been speaking to us, especially concerning getting engaged with other believers in a small group ministry, in a small group team, in a small group fellowship, in a small group family, you would give us the courage to venture further and become a part of such a small group to get to know other people really, to have them know us. And in that process, Lord, for you to call us further down the road in what it means to follow you as your disciples. Thank you, Lord Jesus.